or welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is the show where we help you get better at doing hard things. Today on the podcast, I have got Christine Langdon on board. Christine is a social entrepreneur with a passion for helping people to give simply and do good. She's the co-founder and the chief of good at the Good Registry, a community and website to put the heart back into gift giving. Uh, So you know those rubbish gifts that you get that you don't want what would you say to a better way of gift giving christine offers us that through the good registry today we chat about moving from the corporate life to becoming a social entrepreneur we talk about awareness we talk about direction we talk about how good socks are as gifts we actually spent quite a lot of time on that it might surprise you We talk about discomfort, dealing with discomfort, black humor, and a whole lot of other stuff. I really hope you enjoy getting uncomfortable with Christine and I today. Christine Langdon, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. Thank you. I'm looking forward to being uncomfortable with you today. I always like to kick things off and just have a little bit of a chat backstory. So where were you born? Where did you grow up? I was born in Wellington. In Wellington until I was six, my family moved to Tauranga where my father was a firefighter and he got a role up there. We didn't initially have a house to move into so we lived in a caravan park for about six months and then moved around a few homes and a few schools while we built a new family home which uh, my parents have lived in. My mother is still there, my father passed away last year so that family home in Tauranga is still home. But I came back to Wellington when I was 17 and did journalism training and have travelled around a lot with journalism, working in different newspapers here and overseas. And I now call Wellington home now that I'm back here and I've been working here for longer than I've lived or worked anywhere else. Yeah, oh, cool, cool. Obviously, kind of the moving around a little bit was an, was an interesting experience for you when you were younger to, to bring that up and living in the, in the caravan park. What were the highlights of that for you? (laughs) I do remember going around to the other caravans and asking for food. A child that's happy, or a person that's happy to go up to anybody and start a conversation, and I've always liked food as well, so that was probably (laughs) the start of that. I remember if I thought somebody had good cookies at their caravan, then I'd be um, striking up a conversation to see if I could get a cookie, and going missing after school on various occasions when I'd gone off to a bakery or something like that. So I learnt from the moving around and being in quite unstable places that I could go and talk to anybody and I guess kind of socialise easily. Yeah, it's fascinating kind of what people take out of experiences like that and obviously that's that's probably one of the experiences that has set you off maybe on this path that you're on today. Do you remember any other big formative experiences from your youth that have kind of shaped where you've headed? I always had a questioning mind and an interest in other people and a desire I think to make other people feel a little bit better and to help other people. So when I was a teenager my job choices that I was considering were being a police officer or a social worker or a journalist and there is a kind of a similarity in those of the insight that you get into people's lives um, and the chance that you get to connect with people and, and see real life for people in a way that a lot of other careers don't. So I think that came from being quite a maybe nosy, inquiring personality. 
Interesting. Yeah, I was, I was kind of wondering. I was like, I, I see kind of a similarity between the police and the social worker, and I was, I was wondering how you were going to bring journalists in, into it there. But I, I think that the insight around insight is is fascinating as well, and the inquiry that you get to make. Why did you pick journalism? I loved storytelling, and I guess my mother had a bit of a role in, in telling me that being a police officer or social work would be jobs where you take a lot of stress home, a lot of other people's challenges and, and sadness home. Then I also had a really good opportunity at my secondary school to study journalism. We had a sixth form certificate journalism paper that was taught by a former uh, Sunday newspaper journalist and I got to do that and I loved it and really enjoyed the writing and the being published and I think that had me absolutely certain that it was something that I got a lot of joy from and wanted to do. Mm, cool, cool. I would imagine, even though you take stuff home from being a police officer and a social worker, I would imagine journalism is not too dissimilar in that as well. Like, you would get pretty involved in some of the stories that you're telling there, and it's, I'm assuming, a reasonable amount of sadness in some of those as well. Yeah, it's true. You do get really close to some really touching stories, and that was also part of what attracted me to journalism in the same way is the possibility of being a police officer or a social worker, getting that closeness to people in their stories. Interestingly, the culture around journalism, and it's actually quite similar in the police, is you don't end up taking a lot of it home because you blow off a lot of steam at the end mm. of the day with your workmates. There's a, quite a culture of socialising together at the end of the day and sometimes making light of things that are really quite dark otherwise. Mm. It's fascinating that, and I think like people looking at that from the outside might have a kind of a negative view of mm -hmm. the culture around kind of releasing that tension I guess you would call it. I found something similar like I, I used to work at the hospital and obviously there's a whole lot of sad bad stuff that that goes on there that is it's a hospital where there's people dying all the mm -hmm. time that sometimes there is some pretty dark humor that, exactly. that goes uh, goes around with it and and I think that's unless you've been in a situation like that and I think there's there's a lot of professions that there are situations like that that it's hard to have an understanding of the importance of blowing things off like like that and, and dealing with it that way yeah and not taking it too internally and holding it there and continuing to suffer mm. with it mm. there's a an art to that and in journalism you learn it quite quickly while I learnt it in the pub at the end of the day yeah and I mean to to go and to go back and help someone the next day you can't be carrying all that that baggage from the day before as well and all the, the things that may have not gone as swimmingly as as everyone would have hoped yeah, and also being aware that sometimes giving people the opportunity to share quite dark stories is a gift to give to that person. I obviously had those experiences where I had to knock on the door of people who had been recently bereaved and a lot of members of the public would be kind of like quite disbelieving about how you could possibly do that but I was always surprised in those situations how people were so relieved 
to have the opportunity to talk because other people wouldn't ask them the questions. Mm. And I will still ask questions that other people wouldn't ask when somebody's recently lost a loved one. You know, I won't do the how are you feeling kind of questions, but I'll get to asking for memories, asking for special moments that people do want to talk about and other people shy away from asking about because they don't want to bring up the pain. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just reminded of one of my previous guests, Eric Hodgson, who his daughter died from suicide and he talks a lot about that publicly and one of the cool things that he said was that every time I tell the story I heal just a little bit more so having that that opportunity to have a conversation around something tough I think as a society I mean we run to comfort we we shy away from discomfort and sometimes these conversations are super uncomfortable as well that we don't allow our, that, ourselves that chance or other people that chance to have that healing moment. And we're uncomfortable to ask the questions and start the conversation yep. in case we open a can of worms. Mm. And that discomfort is often where the healing is, as you say, or the opportunity to unpack the feelings and the things that we're holding on to. Yeah. I'm interested, like, what would be a good question for someone to ask? in a situation like that, like as a, as a way in? I would probably, if I was sitting in front of somebody who had recently lost a very close family member, ask a question like, tell me about some of your nice memories of that person. Mm. Let them share their nice memories. Yeah. Let them not dwell in the pain of the moment, but celebrate what there is to celebrate. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that was just a segue that yeah. question, but I was just I was just fascinated with that. fascinated with how you would how you think about that. How long were you working as a journalist for? I worked for a journalist for about fifteen years. I worked on a few different provincial newspapers in New Zealand, and then I moved to the Dominion after travelling overseas and working at a newspaper in the UK. And spent quite a while at the Dominion and then the Dominion Post when the two papers merged. Mm. And finally left when the Dominion Post was bought by Fairfax and had got to newsroom management roles and at that point you're removed from the thing that we've been talking about Mm. where you get to have those conversations where you're really really close to the news and instead it's a management role like any other management role the news is still around you and it's still exciting but I wasn't attracted to continuing to be a manager and was that something that was kind of insidious that it just sort of happened that you kind of kept getting promoted to that point where all of a sudden you weren't maybe doing The thing that you enjoyed the most? Yes, yes. What happened was I was working in the press gallery, which was a fantastic, amazing, inspiring, exciting place to work. And then when the Post and the Dominion merged, I could see that there were four people working for the Dominion Post in the gallery and four people working for the Dominion and two for the Evening Post. And there wasn't going to be six jobs Mm. in the gallery. And there was a opportunity for a deputy chief reporter, which just suited my skills and my backgrounds with my knowledge of the provincial newspaper work in the provinces that the Dominion Post covered. So I took that because it felt like there was a job that really would suit me and would leave the places in the press gallery for Mm. other people. And then as soon as I took that role, I remember being in the toilets crying on my first day as deputy chief reporter, just knowing that it wasn't really in my heart to be at a desk collating Mm. the news and managing people instead of out there gathering the news. Yeah, it's interesting and I was having a conversation with Grant Verhoeven 
actually who um, coaches a lot of people around mm. around career transition and uh, and leadership development and it's amazing the amount of people that just sort of end up in a place that they just kind of look up and think oh how the, how the hell did I get here this is something that's happened over a period of years and then then all of a sudden you're you're not doing the stuff that you enjoy the most or doing things for the reasons that you initially got into them I think it's, part of it is that just kind of remaining aware around the stuff that you like because mm-hmm. the stuff that you like changes over time as well that some people actually love being a manager I think it's kind of that sense of its career progression and, and as we progress in our careers having a title of a manager or a position as a manager feels like an obvious step and for me once I got there when I was faced with continuing to progress through management or how would I go back to being journalist, doing the day-to-day reporting felt like a step backwards. I couldn't see another way forward apart from to step out of where I was. And that took me into working in communications and then into community kind of roles. But maybe looking back on it now, would you have approached that choice to take that role differently? I think I still would have done it. I have no regrets that I did it. I got great experience um, in doing the newsroom management and it really helped me to sharpen my sense of what I did and what didn't want to be doing. Yeah, because the other option would have been to continue as a journalist covering around bit politics or, or something else. And I didn't see longevity in that either. I didn't see myself being somebody who was still kind of late 40s or 50 and still doing that kind of role. So trying out the management for size gave me some experience in management, which I, I've been able to apply in other roles, even though I've kind of always steered away from managing a big number of people and has helped me to to know what kind of role I do want which is a more independent role but not having to manage a lot of people yeah yeah and I think like that's a that's a really good answer to that question and because I think there's a again people are a bit afraid of experimentation and, and trying things on for size and then afraid of maybe making the wrong decision so they try they try it and they think well actually I'm not particularly enjoying this but maybe I just need to work harder at it to make Mm. it work and in some instances that's what you do need to do (laughs) that if you work harder at it and get better at it then you you will learn to love it but I think having that that experimentation and not being afraid to say actually I've tried this and it's not for me and looking somewhere else is is another uncomfortable problem that that people run into from from time to time. Yeah, and I've moved around in a lot of different kinds of roles and there have been quite a few roles that I've absolutely loved and there have also been roles where pretty quickly I've known that it hasn't felt quite right and I've chosen to stick it out for a year or so just to get the benefits that I can from the role and to, to... not run from something and and leave the employer in the lurch. Yeah, and I mean sometimes you do need to give it a bit of time just yeah. to see uh, see all the, the ins and outs of of things. And there are parts that you do do love with it. But if we if we segue again and start to talk about the good registry, because it's something that is pretty awesome. Do you want to talk about maybe how the the genesis of that idea came into 
The genesis of it was I was working at Z Energy, wonderful employer in a wonderful role doing their community investment and their giving back to the community and very, very comfortable in that role, very happy in that role and also a sense in myself of feeling like I was maybe too comfortable and wanted to do something that challenged me a little bit more and gave me a chance to create something of my own and have a different kind of impact in the world. And while I had lots of good ideas for how I could do that, I also knew that I wasn't going to do any of them while I was in the comfort of a good job. So I quit the job without a plan at the time. And the plan evolved that what I would do was live a mindful life for a year and journal that or record that with a blog and use that experience to get clearer on what I wanted to do. And then six weeks in, I was already quite clear that what was really important to me from having spent time being mindful about my, my values and what matters to me, that contribution is a real driver for me, community, connection, being creative. So I knew I wanted to do something that enabled all of those. And I was kind of thinking about, okay, what could I create that um, gives me a way to contribute more and builds community around that and while I was thinking about that I had a birthday and received stuff that I didn't want or need and felt the sadness around that and thought gosh here's something that would be a really easy way for me to contribute more if I could just you know take the money that's being wasted on these gifts and save people the time and, and save me the distress of receiving gifts that I don't want and get that money going to good causes instead. So that was the, the simple idea. Can we put the spirit back into giving really by not giving stuff that isn't wanted or needed and have that joy of giving to good causes? So I spoke to a couple of really good friends about it and within a couple of days I had two friends who wanted to be involved. That was Tracy Bridges and Sue McCabe who are my co-founders in the Good Registry. It was August 2017 and we were like, gosh, if you're going to launch something that's all about gift giving, you'd want to do that in time for Christmas, wouldn't you? And people are already buying their Christmas presents, but maybe November would give people a little bit of a runway for this Christmas. So we decided to give it a go and see if we could launch something for Christmas 2017. And we did. We launched a website in November of 2017 and the concept with the site that we launched was a way to create registries so that you could choose a charity for your birthday or your Christmas or your wedding. You could create a profile page and people could come to your page and donate to the charity that you had chosen and you could see how much you had collectively raised and people could leave comments. And then we also saw from that first Christmas people who were wanting to use the opportunity to replace Secret Santa gifts and corporate gifts, but the structure that we'd created didn't really work for that. So early in 2018, we created good gift cards as well, which is a way that you can give a gift card to someone which the value is in them being able to make a donation to charities that they choose. And they come to our website and they can divvy up their gift card to any of our charity partners and they get the joy of giving because they get to come in and, and virtually kind of shop around, be in the lolly shop of mm. charities to give to and choose how they want to give out the, the donation um, that they're able to make with the gift card they've been given. So essentially it's all about 
the spirit of giving. We want people to experience the joy of giving and uh, we want to do our bit for the planet. There's way too much waste that's caught up in unwanted and unnecessary gifts right from the production, um, the human consequences of some of that production in some of the overseas factories where um, gifts that nobody even ever wanted are getting made and then the shipping to New Zealand, the plastic packaging of the wrapping paper. And that's all good if it's something that um, is ethically and sustainably made and is something that somebody really wants. But if it's a gift that nobody really wants, if it's a secret Santa joke um, or a branded corporate gift, another frisbee or another beach towel and, and you really don't ever think you're going to use those things, then we could do better with that money and we could do better by the planet. Mm-hmm. Just, just thinking that there's only a few days every year that you get to the opportunity to use a frisbee in Wellington. Yeah. Because otherwise it just blows away. Um, that is that is very cool. And I'm just interested in terms of the giving. What do you like? What what excites you so much about that? My little bit of my backstory is that I had. I, had learnt, I'd studied to be a yoga teacher and chosen not to use my yoga teaching as a career but as a way to contribute. Mm. Um, so I was running classes where I was collect- collecting koha and donating the koha to charities that the yoga students who were donating the money had chosen. And I would get so much joy from seeing that money go, for example, to the woman's refuge at Christmas time to give a whole lot of um, gift cards to the woman at the refuge so they could have some kind of Christmas. And, you know, I didn't have to dig into my pocket to give that money I just had to give something that I enjoy giving which is the yoga and then I just got so much excitement from seeing women who needed help be helped because of that so I'd had that and I wanted to see how I could scale up that kind of impact and then also while I was working at Z Energy um, and for some time before I was volunteering teaching yoga in uh, the women's prison out at Tawa and that was the absolute highlight joy of my week. And people would so often say, what a good thing it is that you're doing. And I would always say, it's absolutely selfish. I get so much joy from being out there and, and seeing the joy in the woman's eyes and um, seeing that I'm making a difference. So I'm a big believer that uh, when we are giving to others, if we can just find the way that's right for us, um, it's it's one of the best joys that we can get. And often we don't get the opportunity to experience that because we think we don't have the time or we think that we don't have the money. So that was why with the Good Registry, we wanted to find um, a way that people could give without having to give anything up. It's just money that um, is currently being spent on stuff that's not wanted or needed. And I would so much rather um, see the money go um, for my birthday in um, a week's time. Uh, I've, I've set up a registry for a chained dog rehoming and rehabilitation. There are dogs that spend their whole lives on chains and it makes me really happy to think that I'm not going to get stuff I don't want or need for my birthday and instead I'm going to make a difference for the dogs. Mm, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's an interesting argument that there's nothing, nothing is ever purely altruistic. Never. No. We, we get so much back from, from giving and from, from helping as well and I think as, as social beings that's, that's something that maybe um, we've kind of gone away from a little bit as a society over time as well is that yeah. there's, 
we're we're more connected in a lot of ways, but less connected in terms of the of of helping people out and and giving things that are um, maybe this is going to sound wrong, but that's okay. Giving things that are meaningful. Yeah. That it it almost feels that there's a, there's a giving from obligation mm. rather than from what is what is going to be meaningful in this in this situation and so i think it's it's cool that you're bringing that that awareness and that that meaning back to back to giving yeah you know for me i personally don't uh, want to go and put money into every bucket on the street on every collection day um mm. there are some people who maybe in, who who are inspired and enjoy doing that um but for me to be able to take something that I really didn't want and to use that for good instead mm. really connects with me or to do something that I wanted to do and was going to do anyway like recognising somebody, saying thank you to somebody, celebrating somebody's birthday um, without giving them something that they didn't want either. Mm. Mm. So you've been, you guys are coming up on two years Just now. About. Yeah. What have been what have been some of the big challenges for for you on the way? Technology. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, um, I came into this with very uh, limited experience in website development, um, and uh, we're always looking for ways to improve the technology that we've got, and we're always really limited by the resources that we've got to do everything that we want to do. So one of my big challenges has been to learn uh, that done is better than perfect, uh, and I've, I've gone quite good at that now because I've had to. Um, Were you a bit of a perfectionist beforehand? I don't think I was a um, extreme perfectionist um, but but if I can see something that needs fixing I'd rather fix it than, mm. than leave it untidy mm-hmm. uh, and there are definitely things on our website that I would love to be able to fix tomorrow and one of the great things that I've learned is that if I do that then there'll be other more important stuff tomorrow that I won't have the resource to do so leave it. Yeah it's almost a form of procrastination isn't it? Yes. From the important things. I'm sorry, and I cut you off. Uh, technology a challenge. What are the other big challenges that you guys have run into? There is the culture around gift giving, which is both a challenge and an opportunity. We have a really deeply entrenched culture where we give gifts no matter what. Even if we know that we're giving a gift that the person might not want or need, we'd rather turn up at an event with a gift than turn up empty-handed. Mm. Um, children's birthday parties are a great example. Um, Even with the invitation say, don't bring any gifts. Exactly. And, and I think that when we say, no, don't give me a gift, we set up a, a gift poker because people are just going to guess at what you want and you're going to end up with something that you really, really didn't want, whereas you yeah. should have just told yeah. people um, a thing. And that's where we've given people a thing now. Actually, what I want is a donation to a good cause. You can get me a good gift card from the good registry mm. rather than 
no, don't get me anything and, and you're going to, you're just going to get something. So that is a real challenge for us. We've got a lot of people who love the idea of what we're doing um, and haven't quite had the courage to use us yet because, uh, because they're still attached to the idea of, of giving a thing. Um, mm. And at the same time, there's a huge opportunity in that the amount um, of gifts that are given um, to every single one of us every year and collectively as a country, we're talking millions. Um, so if we could just uh, get one of those gifts per person replaced to a donation um, to a good cause, the impact would be massive. Mm, definitely. Or a potential way around that for people as well is get them, get someone something small and a gift card. Like, get them a pair of socks. Yes. Everyone needs socks. Yes. And, like, now that I'm in my mid-30s, people are like, what do you, what do you want for Christmas? I'm like, wow, oh, I do kind of need some socks. Mm -hmm. And when you were little... That was the worst Socks with a stink present, eh? Yeah, but, yeah. But now you're like, oh, good pair of socks. That'd be, yeah. that'd, that'd be great. Because we buy ourselves most of what we want or need mm. during the year, and it's things like socks that are a little bit boring to buy, um, but when you get a really nice new pair, it feels really good to put them on. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, uh, again, again, segue, but reminded of the, the book The Barefoot Investor um, in terms of kind of managing your money and uh and only spending things on on necessity but his uh his kind of caveat to that is spend stuff on necessities but buy buy top quality socks Absolutely. and underwear so you can't you might not be able to go afford to go on luxury holidays but at least your feet feel like they're in luxury I like the sound of that. Yeah, yeah, it was it was good. It was the, again random segue. Um, on that similar note, though, one of the things that I have personally evolved on over the last um, two years is consumerism and my sense that I used to buy an awful lot that I didn't really need, but felt that I wasn't doing any harm by buying it because I could afford it. So why wouldn't mm. I? And now I. Um, I try as much as possible to buy secondhand uh, instead of buying new because there's enough secondhand clothing in the yeah, world yeah. to clothe us all ten times over. But socks and underwear, <laughs> no. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. I was like, Is it socks? Yeah, so those are the exceptions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just, uh, I've got some socks. I, I need to get some new socks actually. Um, I've got massive holes in some pairs, <laughs> and I still, I still wear them. No one would, no one would want them secondhand. Um, <laughs> One of the other things that you we, we talked about before we started recording was around asking people, and there's a lot of asking that goes on. I'm I'm assuming with uh, with the work that you do. How do you approach asking someone for help? Just ask. Um, I I have not in the past been comfortable with asking. I've tried to calculate the percentage likelihood of a yes and only ask if I feel like it's kind of 90 to 100%. One thing that I have learned over the last couple of years is if you don't ask, the answer is always no. That Even if the answer is no, often you get a chance to find something out or another option or it's a not yet and not a no. So just being prepared to ask and giving that person the opportunity to be the one that tells you if it's a yes or no instead of preempting that yourself by assuming mm. um, that it might be a no and not wanting to take the risk. 
And is, is that the kind of perspective shift that you, you had to get better at asking in terms of that actually I don't want to be making this decision for that person? A little bit. I was fortunate that when I was at Z Energy I went through a leadership program and one of the exercises that we had to do on that leadership program for a couple of months I think it was was every single day make an unreasonable request of somebody mm. um, and I learned through that that uh, that when somebody said no it didn't hurt me um, and that actually I learnt something about that person or that situation that was useful to me um, or it opened another door. So um, I think the practice of asking, like anything, work your muscles mm. and work your, work your asking for stuff muscle. Um, were any of, did, did anyone say yes to your unreasonable requests? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, if you're going to ask me what, I can't remember now. Um, but there were definitely uh, requests that I made which were surprising yeses. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I think, well, again, I've had conversations with people about, around failure as well. And failure is kind of similar to a, to a no. It's, it's a short-term hurt, but mm. in, the, in the scheme of things, that's where we learn the most. And getting better at failing is picking something that you're pretty sure that you're going to fail at and then trying to do it. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, picking, picking someone and asking the question that you're pretty sure that they're going to say no to and just training your muscles that way to, to get better at it. Yeah. Do you still have problems asking? Yeah, I still have to galvanise myself a little bit um, before I make requests of people sometimes. Um, and that's one of the challenges of having a social enterprise startup like this. Um, we are investing a lot of our time and our heart into it and uh, financially there's not money to pay for um, for a lot of services provided to us so I'm constantly having to ask people what they're willing to do uh, for free or at a discount um, and I find myself able able to ask and constantly surprised and delighted and at the same time I still sometimes need to just suck it up and 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 steer down the fear associated with it yeah yeah I don't want people to think I'm asking too much or I'm unreasonable um and and I do think that it's been said of me before that if you give me an inch I'll take a mile and I guess I've got that little story in my head that I don't want People yeah, to yeah. That I'm doing that how could you um, how could you flip that story? Do you think? Um, one thing that I know is that when we give people an opportunity to help, they often really enjoy it. Mm. Uh, people get the same joy that we get from knowing that um, that they're making a difference, and by asking people for their help, we're giving them that opportunity. That helps. Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. And I think if you if you don't offer them that opportunity, you're almost doing them a disservice Absolutely. as well. Yeah. To yeah. to get the, those warm fuzzies from from helping and from giving in, in that way. So what's the plan for the for the next couple of years? Like where do you mm. where do you see this going? And what do you what do you see is gonna be the hardest work about it? We still need to work out how to make it sustainable financially. 
Um, so we have so far raised about 200,000 for good, uh, money that would have otherwise been spent on unwanted gifts and that's really exciting. Um, we've replaced about 6,000 gifts, we've given thousands of people that joy of giving who might not have had it otherwise. So they're all really good results and what we still haven't worked out though is how to make that a sustainable venture that can cover its own costs. Mm. So. We are reliant at the moment on so much goodwill. Um, we have free workspace at the Biz Dojo. We have free accountancing services from Deloitte. Um, we have um, free legal service. All kinds of people um, who are really generously um, giving us support for free. And um, at some stage, we need to be able to stand on our own feet. Um, I've also worked um, full-time unpaid for um, the last two years. Uh, one of the things I'm doing is to make that sustainable for me, starting to do some contract work um, again as well and trying to be 50-50 in terms mm. of my time on the Good Registry and um, my time doing other things. And that feels like a sustainable balance in terms of feeding my soul, doing this thing that I'm passionate about um, and also doing work, which will still be social impact work, but some paid work as well. So yeah, the big challenge is how do we take something that's doing a lot of good in the world um, and and put a business model around it that's actually sustainable? Mm. And at the moment, we're running on trust. We're running on the fact that we have so many good, inspiring stories to tell. We've got these little kids of seven and eight who are giving their birthdays to the SPCA and um, Project Jonah and Kids Can. Um, we've got weddings where you know from one wedding we can raise ten thousand dollars for a little charity like garden to table so great stories to share stuff that really touches the heart but not yet a sustainable model and the trust part of that is that someone else is going to love what we're doing um, at some point and come in and, and offer us the technology side for free um, or some corporate uh, sponsorship partnership to enable us to pay some kind of salary um, to someone or cover some of our administrative costs. Um, we were working quite hard at that at the start of the year and then we decided um, let's just keep doing the good that we're doing and trust that um, with all of the the, the good vibrations um, around it that will attract the people who want to help. Mm. Very cool, very cool. Massively uncomfortable though, at yes. the same time, which is great. That's what it's all, it's what it's all about. What have you, what's the biggest thing that you've learned about yourself over the last couple of years? One of the things that I've observed in myself, um, and I've talked about it a little bit with my blogging, is the deeply ingrained, there's this deeply ingrained need to contribute and need to, um, to make a difference, and the joy that I get when I see that I am helping others on one hand. And then on the other hand, there's also this very deeply um, ingrained thing that I blame society and our upbringing for of feeling attached to having a safe and comfortable income. Giving up the income has been one of the hardest uh, things to do and to trust that it's okay, I'll be okay, um, and that if and when I need money, I'll be able to make money. So I've been 
interested in observing myself and my own kind of reactions and ability to hold firm on um, on on doing something without an income for for two years and that kind of constant little tug to oh you know get a, get to start doing something that pays you soon it's I think something that will be a constant struggle because we grow up or I grew up um, knowing that I that I needed to work I needed to save I needed to put money away for a rainy day and if we don't need to do it now then um, what if what if the rainy day comes and the money's not there it's a confronting challenge and yeah I'd be interested to have a conversation with in another 12 months or 18 months and just kind of see where where the process has gone with that as well and yeah. how your thinking's evolved. It's already started evolving. You know, mm. I can definitely see um, a different degree of, um, well, I've definitely learned that I need less than what I thought that I needed um, and there are still costs and um, and I've got skills that I can apply to do work to cover costs if and mm. when, I, when I need to and that, um, that it is okay to trust that our needs will be met when they, mm. when they need to be met. Yeah, yeah, just yoga classes with kohar of socks. Yeah. <laughs> um, Christine, I've got some questions that I like to ask everyone towards the end of the conversation. The first one is, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? To the subject of asking that we were talking about previously, one of the things that I really struggle with is when I've got people who are volunteering their time and their energy to me, um, needing to chase them up. Mm. Um, people often um, volunteer to um, to help and then they kind of go to ground. And I mean, I can think of a situation today and I can think of situations kind of just about every week where I've had to follow up a volunteer and say, hey, you said you'd do this. Are you really up for it? Um, there was one volunteer who had said that he would do something really, really awesome for us. And I checked in kind of like a couple of weeks later and then a couple of weeks later and he kept saying, yes, yes, yes. And, you know, it gets to that point of how many times can I can I chase this person up and giving people the opportunity to back out and saying, hey, look, if you don't want to do it, just let me know now and we'll find another way to get it done. So that for me, the not just the asking, but then the follow-up when people have offered or, or said yes to follow through to get things done is very uncomfortable. Yeah. Potentially the same answer for the next question. What's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do? And why is that uncomfortable for you? I'll give you a different answer. And it's probably this kind of sitting tight thing that we've been talking about, the continuing to let go of the need to work for 40 or 50 or more hours a week on the good registry to grow it and to make it sustainable and to do other things. So it's the letting go, it's the letting go of control. I've made a mental commitment to give the good registry the space to grow without me having the shovel and, and the watering can out every day or for 10 hours a day. And, and that takes a lot of trust and a lot of conviction and it does I do have to kind of hold back the internal dialogue of wanting to keep on ploughing the field and, and getting things growing quicker than maybe they're ready to grow. Yeah, that's a big one as well. And that's something that I struggle with too, is giving things the space yes. to, to grow, but also having the patience to mm. say, hey, maybe if, like, if I put in more effort now, maybe, yeah, it would, it would grow faster, but 
what am I missing out on if I don't take that space? I've been doing a lot of thinking around that recently as well, so it's a timely answer for me there too. Yeah, sometimes we think things are only going to happen if we get in there and get our hands dirty and make them them happen, Mm. and it's an uncomfortable place for me to be patient and to step back and see what comes in if I'm forcing stuff, and so that's my big challenge. And we're, oh, like, we've, we've talked through a few of these already, but do you have any other strategies that you use to approach uncomfortable situations? Mindfulness. Being observant of what it is that's making me uncomfortable. And once you're mindful and aware of that, I think it takes away a lot of the discomfort. Oh, okay, that's what I'm really reacting to. That's what I'm really afraid of. Okay, I can do this now. My yoga practice, one of the things that I'm really aware of in yoga is that we often put ourselves into these uncomfortable poses and learn to stay there until we get comfortable. And I think we can take a really good lesson from that. Just breathe Um, in these uncomfortable situations, then it starts to become comfortable. And when you fight against it and struggle against it, it doesn't doesn't Mm. ever get comfortable. A couple of other quick questions for you, but I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to, to have a conversation with me. But also thank you for allowing people the opportunity to help as well. I, I appreciate it and a lot of other people I'm sure appreciate it as well. Thank you. If people want to help you, how do they do that? Where do they go? What can they do? What can they do? Thank you for asking that question. We are always up for accepting help. People can help by helping to spread the word. That is so important. You know, we we don't have a a marketing budget. So if people just use the good registry to buy one good gift card and give that to somebody that they'd like to say thank you today, that's help us. That's helping us spread the word. Or if people listen to this and share it on social media and say, hey, here's a here's a good idea and you know, ask people to give them good gift cards instead of gifts, that helps. So spreading the word. We obviously still need the help around our technology. So if if there are people who would love to give us pro bono support to take some big strides with our technology, that would that would be massive. And totally open for ideas and offers. And we're always looking to give back as well. That's one thing to say is that when we do accept help, I'm always really conscious of if there are ways that we can give back to people who help us, then I'm always keen to do that too. Final question for you, do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? My challenge would be to see for yourself that the joy is outside of the comfort zone and take yourself there. Just find something supremely uncomfortable to do and try it and see how good it feels. I'm a big believer that the best things in life happen outside of the comfort zone. It's certainly been my experience and sometimes it's hard to take those leaps and it doesn't have to be a leap like leaving your job like I did, but just find something that is going to make you uncomfortable and give it a go. Very cool. Christine Langdon, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. It's my pleasure. 
There you have it team, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Christine and myself. A few thank yous, thank you Jailan for your awesome editing skills buddy, podcast sounds swish because of you, thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music, and thank you as always to you guys for taking the time to, to tune in and to listen and share some time with me and my awesome guests. And as a bit of a thank you, some of you know that I do some coaching with people around taking on challenges around building resilience about me- around mental fitness. What I'm doing is I'm opening up a few half hour slots through the month of August, complimentary slots, to sit down and do a little bit of a, a short coaching session with you. If you would like to take advantage of that, send me an email, uncomfortableisokay at gmail.com. That's uncomfortableisokay at gmail.com. And we can tee up a time to have a chat and help you get better at doing hard things. Thanks so much for getting uncomfortable with me today.